Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We do a lot of standing around here. You get to sit down here in a minute, but some, some, some of you, this is the only exercise you get all week is coming to church on Sunday. So just bear with us. I know some of you cannot. I'm not, please don't misunderstand me. I understand some of our elders cannot and uh, physical conditions, but I am thankful that I have legs to stand on today. I have arms to raise and give praise to him. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. I want to thank the church for the deep outpouring of love that you showed to Sister Gail and her whole family during this time of loss and her mother's uh, home going. What a great service yesterday. What a great presence of the Lord I just pray that when my time comes, there'll be enough that can say about me what was said about her yesterday. That's what I want to live my life for. I listened to a singing a little while ago and all of my worship, all of my praise, I give you all. And I thought, Lord, I think I'm giving you all of my praise. I think I am. But then I find out I'm not. And so what happens is that God allows me to go through circumstances and situations that will reveal what's really in my heart. When the pressure is on, you find out very quickly what a person is made out of. And so God puts me into situations where my praise can be deepened and it can be magnified. And so instead of us complaining about our troubles, we ought to be thanking God that we've got a few. Amen. Because it's the trouble that brings out the best praise in you. You don't know that yet, but it does. It ought to at least. It ought to bring something out of you at As a result, somewhere you may curse at the beginning, but before you get through, you better let something sink into your spirit that will cause you to want to praise Him because He's kept you. Many things that we've been through in life, and yet none of them have taken us down. We're still here. We ought to thank God for that today. Amen. Turn with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 3. It is not a lengthy psalm, and so we're going to read the entirety of this portion of Scripture. Psalms, chapter 3. I don't know how it is in your Bible, but my Bible has this. A psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me. Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of me or say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Selah. Very important word. Selah. Everybody say Selah. Think about that. Pause for a moment to think about what David has just said. Verse number three said, But thou, O Lord, art my shield for me, my glory, and the lifter of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. Selah. Pause. Let's think about that. Consider what David has just proposed. Verse number five, he said, I laid me down and slept. I awakened for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. 
Arise, O Lord, or arise, Jehovah, the God of a covenant, the God of covenant. Arise and save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation, my salvation. Your salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah. Take a minute. Digest that. Let it sink in. I think everybody in this building likes to boast of a testimony. We all want one, but most of us just don't want to have to go through what you have to go through to get one. I want to preach to you for a little while this morning. God wants to give you a testimony. Turn to your neighbor and look them in the eye and say that. God wants to give you a testimony. Amen. Amen. Praise God. You may be seated. A testimony is simply an evidence, a statement that carries the weight of experience that whoever speaks such knows all to the stand that experience. A witness would never be called to the stand that didn't see or experience what was going on. You have gone through something. You have seen something. You have experienced something. And that entitles you to be a witness or a testimony. This particular psalm that we have read from is considered in Jewish uh, poetry as a historical psalm. How easy, though, historical things become hysterical things when we don't get the right message. There's a lot of people that are limited and affected and dominated by their history. What has happened in their life and what they've gone through or what they've experienced has more to say about them than they have to say about themselves. There's not a person sitting under the sound of my voice this morning that has not been through some kind of adversity. There's not one here that has not experienced some kind of trial or tribulation, or trouble of some kind. And yet, how often can our historical experiences become nothing but hysteria, panic, frantic motions, and frustration, and a distraught spirit, and this feverishness about life that we're Nothing but one ball of nerves. So it was for David. This was a part of his history. And it could have easily spiraled out of control because of how it began. When you understand what he enumerated in those first few verses, the things that were against him, how easy this story could have been turned to something completely different than it was. How easily this song could have been transposed into a dirge rather than a psalm of worship. Because he did not allow the panic or the frustration or the feverishness to take over in his life. We have one of the greatest psalms that you'll ever read. One that I go to quite often. It involves a period of David's life that was not without significance. 
It was without doubt one of the lowest points of David's life. David was in trouble. There were great troubles that surrounded him. It was written by David when he was running from his own son, his own flesh and blood, young man by the name of Absalom. Young man that had come into the world out of a wrong union, but somehow grew to favor in his father's eyes and David overlooked a lot of things in Absalom's life and didn't realize that Absalom didn't have the heart of David. He had something else and it wasn't long until Absalom began to question the old man and everything that he was doing and he began to curry favor among the young turned into full rebellion. It wasn't long until rebellion turned into full revolt. And David realized that he had to do something. Now, this is my perspective. I, I don't know that I have a lot of, uh, of evidence other than just knowing what I read in Scripture. But I, I've often wondered why the great King David, who was a warrior, he wasn't afraid to take on Goliath. He wasn't afraid to lead Israel into battle and to vanquish their foes. And yet when this particular situation arose, I, I've often wondered why David did not stay and fight. Why didn't he just stay in Jerusalem, get his army around him, and go against Absalom and these young people that had that that it sided with him. And I believe my feelings about it may be true, but I feel like David knew he could have stayed, but the carnage that would have been created by his staying would have been too costly to the kingdom. And he realized that though he could not control the present circumstances, he was not going to let these circumstances destroy what God had built up. And so he chose to move away and he could have subjected the city to battle and there would have been great carnage and loss and there would have been a lot of mourning in Jerusalem and in Israel. But he chose to not do that. He took a household and his loyal followers and he fled. I believe there's something to be said for an individual who understands that the worth of the kingdom is more important than their personal problems. Sometimes there are people that because they're having trouble, they want the church to have trouble as, as well. They want to they, they have a war just because they're going through some things. And they want to destroy something that's greater than themselves. And David chose not to do that. And he fled somewhere along the way, perhaps the second night or so, as he began to look back over his situation and consider what was going on and what had happened. He took his pen and paper and began to write these words. There are two interesting facts that I must share with you for you to understand my message today. Number one is that it is one of the most compact psalms that you will ever read that David wrote. Very, very distinct, very succinct, to the point. There's no superfluous wording, not a lot of flowery uh, prose that could have been thrown in that often was in time to come. But this time, David just got right to the point. He was hurting, and, and it's called a psalm. The interesting thing is the word that's used here for psalm was a word that was used in the realm of horticulture, and it spoke of pruning or cutting away the superfluous twigs or those things that were not necessary for the existence of the plant. And so David just snipped everything that didn't need to be put in there and compacted it down, didn't waste his words, but every word counted. 
The second thing about it is that it is all, most Bible historied at the beginning, but it is also subnoted. Most Bible historians believe that the notation that is given to chapter number four was actually part of chapter number three. And so when he got through writing this psalm, he made this statement and this notation. This song is to the chief musician upon Niganoth. Now, that's strange word, but it literally means smiting. And was in reference to how a, a person playing a stringed instrument would smite the strings. And out of that strumming and smiting of the strings, they would produce a melody and music would come from it. And so David chose to describe what he was going through in those terms. That this was not chaos, this was not disorder, this was not confusion. But somehow I am going to transpose this trouble into a song. The smitings. That word described him so well at that moment. He was smitten by the words of his enemies. Read it again of what they said about him. How they increase that trouble me. And many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul there is no help in God. He was about to be smitten not only by the words of these people, but by their very swords. They were not going to let him go quietly. They were going to come after him, and they did pursue him. Armies were being marshaled at that very moment that would come against him to try to completely take him out of the picture. And even at that moment, perhaps it seemed that God himself had smitten him. And yet David chose, instead of letting this destroy him, he chose to call, to allow if I could say it like this, the smitings to produce a song in his soul. He, he, instead of letting his troubles destroy him, he translated those troubles into a means of worship and adoration to his God. One that could be repeated at worship services in time to come. One that down the road, in another time, in another era, perhaps even as far away as 2018, somebody would open up the Word of God and they would read this song again. And in reading it, they would be helped by its words and they would be encouraged by its points and principles, and they would be strengthened by what they have heard. That whatever they're going through, whatever they're facing, whatever they're dealing with, cancer, a, a, a bad news from your job, or some kind of other issue in life, family troubles, or marriage troubles, or whatever other ailments that might go wrong in a person's life. He, he, he hoped that in some time to come, what he had gone through would help them get through what they're going through. Help somebody. Today to help somebody. And that's all I really want to do is just help somebody. Help you in your troubles and help you in your troubles to understand that troubles are not the end, but they're a means to get you somewhere. Somewhere closer to God. Somewhere more in alignment with His perfect will for your life. For God will never allow a trouble to come into your life that does not have divine purpose connected to it. You understand me today. God does not randomly allow the devil to run havoc in your life and just let whatever may be, let it go as it goes. But He allows the hand of adversity to come for one reason, that He might reveal Himself in my life in a greater way and that I might draw closer to Him and have a deeper relationship with Him.
That is what trouble was meant for. And so David chose to take his trouble and and translate it into a song. One that would be sung over and over again. Would to God that we knew how to turn our smitings into songs. I'm not, uh, uh, please hear me. I, I'm not, I, I know some people do, but what they turn it into is a funeral dirge. Ain't nobody knows the troubles I've had. I'm not talking about that kind of song. I'm not talking about this woe is me and it's so dark. I don't know that it'll ever be light again. I'm talking about a song of praise. A song that lifts up the Lord. A song that magnifies His greatness. A song that glorifies Him for who He is. A song that exalts the name of the Lord into its proper place in my life. A song that elevates Him above all of my troubles. That no matter what I'm going through, God is above all of my troubles. And He knows how to get me out of my troubles. He knows how to take me through. Hallelujah. Amen. Three times the word Selah is inserted in this song. Many, many different translations of the words Selah. Uh, but the two most common that that are accepted among biblical scholars, I guess you would say, would be that it means to lift up. And it seemed like it was a crescendo mark in the music. Now, I'm not a musician, and I probably should have tried to pass this by Brother Clyde T., but I do know that in my little recollections of sheet music, that there are points in the song that they put certain marks there, emphasis that means this is where you really hammer it. Or this is where you back off and you're soft and, and the music is subtle. But here, here is where you nail it. Here is where the, the, the gong sound. Here is where the bass drum rolls. Here is where the bass note is. Here is where the raptors are rattled. And that's what David was trying to get across to those who were reading this psalm in the future that what I'm talking to you about right now, this is the ape, this is what you need to sit up and pay attention to. This is what you need to be aware of. And it shouted all the, listen to me, hear what I'm saying. It pulls all the stops out. It's like a giant exclamation mark. Wham! I wish I could wham some folks sometimes, just wake them up. <laughs> you're not even, you, you're not even on my wavelength right now. I'm trying to preach you a good message and some of you, you're already at six flags. Listen to me today. I'm trying to help somebody in this field. The reason some of you are in the mess you're in right now is because you've let trouble dictate your life instead of you dictating to your troubles. You are not destroying me. You are not tearing my family up. You're not going to tear my marriage up. Clap your hands to the Lord and give Him praise. Hallelujah. So the question is, what is God wanting us to put emphasis on in our troubles? What is God wanting us to underscore in our troubles? Certainly, now how big and bad they are. Certainly not how horrible our woes are. Not simply rehearsing our troubles. I get so weary. Some people, you don't ever ask them how they're doing. Because you got a 30-minute dialogue of every ailment, every problem. Nobody in this church. I'm not talking about anybody here. Just some people that I know. So what does God want us to 
What, what does he want us to learn from our troubles? What does he want us to emphasize when we're in the midst of trouble? When you're trying to balance the checkbook and it doesn't want to balance. When you're looking at all the stuff you've got in life, trying to figure out how you're going to pay for it and how, how you're going to maintain it. And, and you get so stressed out and you think, man, I can't do this. i got to go. I'm going to get down to where we live today, so you might as well get comfortable. Some of you are quiet, but that's all right. We all have woes. There's no question about it. We all have our sorrows. We all have our problems. But I believe, and David believed, that what God really wanted trouble to do for us was help us know what to really focus on. In our time of trouble. What you really give your attention to. Is not all that mounted stuff. That's pressing in all around you. But you better learn how to give attention to the things that really matter. During your time of trouble. They say. Is what David said. They say. How many things in the kingdom of God have tried to be stopped by what they say? You know what, church? I would have folded up my Bible and closed the door of greater life a long time ago if I had been listening to what they said. I've been called everything from a liberal to a... I would say a Democrat, but I don't want to, they haven't called me that yet. I'm just joking. Oh, some of you need to smile a little bit here this morning. I'm not, I'm just going to use me for an example. I could use some of you, but I'm not going to embarrass you. I'll just embarrass me. I've been called so many things in my life, my ministry. You just get to where you don't, you know what? That's not what defines my life. It's not what somebody else says about me that matters. They say, so what? People get so bent out of shape over Facebook. I'm going to preach a little bit about Facebook. Go ahead and get comfortable now. There are more of you sitting on these pews that your life is controlled by what is put on Facebook. You're either happy or sad. You're mad or glad. You want somebody to give you a thumbs up. I don't care if you give me a thumbs up or a thumb down. I'm not looking to you to help me get out of my trouble. I've got my eyes lifted a little bit higher. There's somebody better than you, that's mightier than you, that knows more about me than you do, that's got his hand on my life, and he's the one that I want to know what he has to say about me. They said, Oh, my Lord, how many nights have people been awake mad as they could be because of what they said? Lose sleep, lose rest, get frustrated and angry all because of what they said. And he said, what do you think about that? I'll tell you what you think about it. Zero. Brother Hughes, aren't you concerned about what your image is? You know what? I'm not concerned about what my image is. I am concerned about what his image is. And what you think about me doesn't matter, but what you think about him does. And if in some puny, feeble way, some simple little boy like me can help get your eyes off of your trouble and onto your God, then I've succeeded. But I really don't care whether I get a thumbs up or a thumbs down. I do want you to like me, but I'd rather he like me. I'd rather he be in my favor. I'd rather he be on my side. I'd rather him be and say, come on, Mark, you can do this. Come on, you can get through this. Come on, you're better than that. Come on, you're going to rise up out of that. Hallelujah. You need a chump Facebook. You need to boycott it. I guarantee you, if I could get some of you to boycott Facebook for one month, you would shout around these aisles every night we had church.
Amen. They say. They say. What did they say? They had a lot to say. You know what I've learned in life? There's a lot of people have a lot to say about my life. But they don't have to live my life. They don't have to go where I go. I've had people come in at times and criticize things about our church. And at this moment in time, you look around, you see it, you think, well, man, we should be better than that. We should do better than that. But where were you when we were scratching out our living and trying to make a way out of a storefront and we didn't even have enough money to rub together, much less buy a piece of property? And I'm begging for $300,000 from the bank and he's looking at me like I'm a lunatic. So we built what we could with what we had and made the best of it. Now, 15 years later or 20 years later, when you look back at it, you can find all the flaws with it. You can find all the reasons that we should have done different. But back then, that's why I'm not worried. That's why God's given me a little bit of a duck's back. It just rolls off of me. It does hurt my heart, but it doesn't stay in my spirit because I'm not interested in what people think about where I am. What I want to know is where does God or what does God think about where I am? If I'm not where I need to be, God, that I need you to help me get to where I need to be. But I got news for you. I have never gotten to where I needed to be in God listening to what they said. You ever seen it? People that never had kids can tell you everything to do and not to do about with kids. They have all the answers. Well, if it's me, well, it's not you. So get over it. Understand I'm handicapped and I'm, I'm, I'm feeble. But God can work with me and he can work with you. But it's amazing how many people have answers to your troubles that don't have any answers to their troubles. Yeah. They can tell you how you ought to get through it. Well, you, know, you, you shouldn't have that attitude. But let what happened to you happen to them. Oh, my word. The high heavens hear it. It, it blows up on Facebook. I love that term. Blow, it blew up. What's that? It went viral. <laughs> that sounds like a disease to me. <laughs> viral. Every time I've heard my doctor say viral, I've tried to get away from it. But we let our life be dictated to and affected by and troubled by all of this garbage that's around us. When really that has nothing to do with my destiny. It has nothing to do with why I am where I am. I know I messed up. David messed up. That's why Absalom was who he was. But that wasn't what was going to define his destiny. And somehow along this journey, David got to the place where he could see what God was trying to do in his life. That God was trying to deepen his relationship with. He was trying to deepen his praise. He was trying to deepen his understanding of who he was. And the only way God could do that is to take him through a path of trouble that could have destroyed him, but God must have known enough about David to not put more on him than he could bear. And that's the way God operates. He doesn't put more on us than we can bear. He doesn't allow anything to come that would destroy us. If it comes to destroy us, it's not from God. It's from the enemy. And so David is making this transition away from Jerusalem up in the mountains, and he's remembering. He's been here before when he was running from Saul, and he remembered how good God was to him back then. And when he began to remember where God had brought him from and what God had done to tell you, I'm going to sum it on to realize some things. 
And this is what I come to get to tell you. I'm, I'm going to sum it all up real quick. Here's what I think David realized in the middle of his trouble. Number one, what people say about me is not as important as what God says about me. Amen. David learned that they don't know my God. They don't know my God. If they knew my God, they would know my God shall supply all my need according to His riches in glory. If they knew my God, they would knew my God was going to be my shield and my protector. That God was going to be my help in time of trouble. David realized that it was God that called him to the throne, not man. Because if man had had anything to do with it, he would have still been tending sheep. Because that's where his dad sent him when he knew that Samuel was coming. He sends him to the field. And he doesn't even acknowledge that he has another son when Samuel says, Okay, bring your sons by here. One of your sons is going to be the next king. And he brings all these boys by and he's, he No, God, that's not, God said, no, that's not him. No, no, that's not him. He said, do you not have any more son? Do you not have any more household? Well, yeah, 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 yeah. David, he's, he tends sheep. Well, go get him. Samuel said, I'm going to wait. God did that. God called him from the sheepfold, put his hand on him, said, you're going to rule on the throne of Israel. And listen to me. I'm going to establish your throne forever. It's all the way in the book of Revelation. It starts in Samuel, but it doesn't end until Revelation. That when God puts his hand upon you and said, this is what's going to happen. This is what I'm going to do for you. This is where I'm going to take you. I don't care what kind of hell you got to go through. You just understand you're going to get through that hell because God got a place for you in his destiny that your troubles cannot take away from you. He's got a place. He's got a hand on you. And God put me on this throne. And no man, no son, no rebellion is going to take that away from me. God pledged him that position. God put him where he was. And God would keep him where he needed to be. God gave me the kingdom. And nobody is going to take from me what God has given me. You listen to me, church. There's some of you that are giving up your possessions too easily. Some lie comes along and said, you're nothing. You're not going to, you're a backslider. You're, you're a fake. You're a sham. And you just readily give it up. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I am. You better hold on to what God's called you. He called you a son. He called you a daughter. He called you his child. You better not ever let that slip out of your memory. You better not ever let the devil trick you into giving that seed up or giving that heritage up. That's what happened to Esau. He traded his birthright. You're going to be blessed doubly. It was what God said about him. It was God saying, you're the firstborn. You're going to be blessed doubly. You're going to have more than your brothers. That was his birthmark. That was what God had given him. But he let that go because he didn't understand that his troubles were only temporary. And he let go of his destiny and his future. And then he realized he had let the most important thing go. And he starts trying to get it back with tears. But Hebrews said, even with tears, he could not reclaim. There's some things that you let go of, you may never get back. And when you let your present troubles trick you into giving up your birthright, who are you? Who are you? Do you have the Holy Ghost? How many of you have the Holy Ghost? Then why in God's name are you letting your troubles trouble you so much? 
You need to let that smiting turn into a song. You need to let all those blows that are coming into your life, instead of making you bitter, you ought to, you ought to somehow find a way to let God help them make you better. Those smitings that come to your life, those hurts that you can't understand, those pains that you don't understand why you have to suffer, those things you've got to go through that you can't give any reason for, instead of fighting them, why don't you reach out and embrace that and say, God, you've got to have something in this for me that's going to help make me a better man, that's going to help make me a better person, and I don't want to let go of it until it has accomplished its purpose. Hallelujah. Amen. You can't let people or circumstances steal your joy. Amen. I'm hurrying. Number two. David learned that what God is is more important than what might be. Amen. There might be 10,000 people out there that hate me. There probably are. There may be 10,000 people that are wetting their sword to take my head off. There may be. There may be troubles out there that are so big that they would cover this room up. But you know what? I'm not as worried about that as I am encouraged by what God is. He said, God is. My shield. You know what a shield is? Come here, guys. I need three of you. These, come on, three of you. Just three. That's all. Come on. You, this one right here. All right. You, you're going to be my shield. All right? Now, a shield, the purpose of a shield is to keep that from getting here. All right? All right, now. I'll need some help here. I want you to be my adversities. I want you to get down in that, get down that row right there. I want you to act. Come on, come on, help me. Get right there. And I want you to try to get through these guys. You're my troubles. And here I am. Here, God's my shield. He's, he's, he's put a barrier between me and my enemy. Now, come on. I want you guys to try to come and get me. Now, guys, you're my shield. I'm, tra- I'm counting on you. Come on. Come on. Whatever they do, whatever trick they try. You, you see, that's the hand of God on all of our lives. It's not God just putting us out there and said, okay, I hope you make it. I hope they can stand it. God puts a shield out there. And every time the devil tries to come, he puts it up. Every time he tries to come around here, he puts it up. Every time he, I'm telling the enemy cannot lay a hand on you. Hallelujah. He's my shield. Woo. Hallelujah. Not only is he my shield, he's my defense. He's my glory. I love this word. I never, I never fully understood the significance of it until I started digging into its meaning. And it means, this is what it literally means. The glory, the word glory that David used here means abundance. Abundance. Everybody say abundance. It means riches. Riches. Say riches. It means my reputation. Say that with me. My reputation. It means my weight in the meaning of strength. He's my Charles Atlas. He's my glory. When I have a lack, he is what makes up that lack. He is my abundance. He is my riches. I once was young. Now I'm old, but I have never, never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen God turn his back on somebody that served him. 
I've never turned, I've never seen God turn away from somebody who's trying. Now I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about sainthood. I'm talking about somebody that's trying to live for God. David was a man full of flaws. He had many sins in his life, but he was trying to live for God. And he said, I've never seen that kind of person forsaken. Nor his seed beg bread. Oh, yes. He is my riches. He is my abundance. New Testament writings, Hebrews, he said, chapter 13, He will never forsake thee. That's what the King James says. But in the Greek, the word never is a word that's magnified. And it means literally, he will never, 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 never. Do you get the message? Never, never leave me, nor never Never, 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 never forsake me. And he is my reputation. I rest my case. Like me or dislike me, he likes me. (laughs) Oh, yes. He is my reputation. I've had people tell me at times, what are you going to do about that? And I've been in situations where my flesh, I, there was a time in my ministry, flesh, I, I wanted to exact revenge. There was a time in my ministry when I had a man try to destroy my ministry. And he was a much older man than me. And he accused me of some things that I did not do. And he spoke it throughout our district. And every revival that I had scheduled from that point forward was canceled. And I remember standing at the back of a camp service. And there was a group of ministers down at the front. And a man walked by me and said, do you know what they're talking about down there? I said, I think so. He said, what are you going to do about it? And I looked at him and I said, nothing, nothing. That was in 1982. I'm still here. I'm not bragging. But I refused to let what was happening to me define me. And there was nothing that I could do. I could have said all kinds of things. I could have said he's lying. But I, somehow God helped me. And it wasn't me, but God helped me to say, you know what? I'm going to let God take care of that. And I will tell you, that was the hardest thing I ever had to do. Because I would wake up days after that and I would want to get my hands back on him. And I would want to think of ways that I could hurt that man. And things that I could tell on him that would undermine his credibility. And every time I would take hold of it, Brother Dwayne, it felt so nasty that I would have to let it go. I remember going up for a week at my father-in-law's place at the lake all by myself. I locked myself in. I decided that I was going to spend a week there and I was going to pray my way through it one way or the other. When I got through with this week, I was either going to come out of it still preaching or I was going to go back to whatever I could find to do. But I wasn't going to live trying to reach out and and take that and try to fix it and do something with it. And after a week of laying on the floor and wallowing through the night, Begging God, cleanse me of this bitterness. I don't want this controlling my life. I don't want this affecting the way I view people. I don't want it affecting the way I feel toward people. I was able to get up and walk out of that trailer and wash my hands and say, God, I don't ever want to go back to that week. I don't ever want to go back to that. I don't care what people do to me. 
I'm not going to sit around and cry. I hurt like everybody hurts, but I'm here to tell you, they're not defining my reputation. He's defining who I am. He said, that's my son in whom I am well pleased. That's my child. That's my son. And I choose to live in that knowledge. And I don't like people not liking me. Please don't misunderstand and send me a bunch of hate mail. Because it hurts. It does. But you hear me. You're not defining who I am. He is. My troubles are not defining who I am. He is. He's using those troubles to help bring out of me a better praise. He's using my adversity to bring me to a better place of praise. He's using these things so that when I lift my hand, I really do have a testimony. I'm here by the kept God, not by my goodness, not by anything that I've done. But I'm here because God kept his hand. God was a shield to me. God was my glory. He kept my reputation. And he restored me to my throne. And stand with me if you will. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. David learned that it never pays to trust numbers when it comes to God. Some of you didn't hear that because you were getting up. I'm going to say it again. David learned that it's never good to trust numbers when it comes to God. Lord, how are they increased to trouble me? Many, many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of me, his God won't help him. Though 10,000, 10,000s, not 10,000, 10,000s, plural, should wet their sword against me. All it takes to turn the tide is one man or one woman that believes God and believes what God has to say about their life. Amen. Change the whole destiny of a family. Abraham, living in Ur of the Chaldees, doing whatever Abraham did. Abram, at that point, doing whatever Abram did. And God called to him out of the land and said, Abram, come and follow me. I want to make you a father of many nations. I want to bless you abundantly. Abraham dropped everything. He packed all his bags. He got his family together. And he took off on a journey that he never got to the end of. He never got to the fulfillment of it. But he pursued it to the very end. And Hebrews chapter 6, I was reading it early this morning. It speaks about him in faith reaching out and taking hold of the promise. And I love what verse 15 of chapter 6 says. And patiently endured. That's what some of us have to do. Just hold on. We'd like for God to just take us out of our troubles. But there's a whole lot more that he's trying to accomplish in us in our troubles. And so he chooses to leave us there. But Abram, he held on patiently. He endured patiently. He just wouldn't let go of what God had said about him. And even though there were ten thousands of people that were against David, there was only one that really mattered, and that was his God. God can save by many or by few. God's not intimidated by numbers. Though hosts should rise against me. In this will I be confident. What am I confident in? I'm confident in a God who is a shield. 
I'm confident in a God who is a, is my glory. Oh, I forgot. I am confident in a God who is the lifter of my head. That when life gets so heavy that I drop my head, or when life gets so burdened that all I can see are my troubles around me, God, just pardon me, He just gently comes and He picks me. He said, come on. He lifts my head. Oh, it's not as bad as you think it is. You're not as bad trouble as you think you are. I'm here. And me and you are a majority. With God, all things are possible. It doesn't matter what you're going through. God's trying to lift somebody's head up this morning and said, hey, come on. You need to elevate your vision. You need to get your eyes lifted up a little higher than what they've been. And see that I'm still sitting on the throne. Amen. I'm still in control. He enables me to rise above my failure and my circumstances. And He lifts me up. So that no man can put me down or shut me down. Amen. And it doesn't matter how many are against me. If God be for me. I wish I could get some of you to believe this morning that God is not your enemy. He is your very best friend. I wish I could get some of you to believe that God doesn't have it in for you. That He is not angry with you. That He is not bitter at you. That He is not trying to hurt you. Even though He's allowed you to go through some troubles. He's done it so you and you and you and you and you could have a testimony. So that you could turn to somebody going through adversity and say, come on, you can make it. How do you know? Because I made it. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord and give him praise. I'm going to, I'm going to close. I'm going to, I'm going to give some of you a little insight that some of you haven't even considered. That if you were not so important to him, they wouldn't be sending an army after you. If you weren't so important to God, the devil wouldn't be trying every way he can to get you. They don't send an army after one man. One old man. But you do when it's David. Because you know that no matter how you push him down, he's going to find a way to get back up. He's going to find a way to get reconnected to God. And when he gets reconnected to God, it doesn't matter what's happened to him. God's going to take him. He's going to pull him out of it. He's going to help him escape. And the reason the devil is fighting some of you and your family so hard right now is because you're important to God. And there's nothing he would like to do more than destroy that testimony and keep you from having that testimony. That's why he's working. You need to smile. You need to say, thank you, Lord. Come on, let's work. Come on, Lord, help me. Help me, help me, help me. Amen. Some of you need to take some of somebody by the hand right now and say, come on, let's get better. Come on, take them by the hand right now and say, come on, let's get better. Come on, let's get a little stronger. Come on, let's climb a little higher. Come on, come on, that's what I mean. Come on to the front. Come on, grab somebody by the hand and say, come on, we're going up. Come on, we're rising above our troubles. <coughs> we're not going to let circumstances and situations and people determine our destiny. God, your hand is upon us today. And you want to give us a testimony. You want to give us a witness. That we are overcomers. That we are more than conquerors. That we are better than our situation. 
Oh, me. yes. And with his power. Hallelujah. Why don't you turn your sorrows into a song this morning? Why don't you turn your sorrows into a song of praise? God be the glory for the things he has done.